excited to get into the scriptures this morning? Well, let's get in the scriptures so the scriptures can get into us. Come on, Brian. I'm excited. We, uh, we've recently wrapped up our 2020 series um, over the course of leaders' meetings, we, over the course of church services, our staff lessons, and uh, we got to look at some incredible topics. Now, I do want to share this real quick. So we're going through this book, uh, 2020, by Dr. Tim Kernan, and it's all about Jesus' ministry broken into practicals. And so basically, as a church, we got to look at, uh, we looked at conviction, number one, was focused on the few, wrestle for miracles, sort out the shenanigans, and if you remember a shenanigans, just anything that takes your focus off of doing what's right, uh, so we got to sort that stuff out. Get them leading small groups, and so we looked at how Jesus' method was small groups. You know, immediately as Jesus was came out of the desert after he fasted for 40 days, and he came out and he, he immediately started calling men to follow him. He quickly designated 12 as the apostles that he focused on, and that impact was able to reach the towns, the villages, and eventually the entire world because Jesus focused on small groups. And so we've got to raise up great leaders who can lead small groups around the Eugene area. Uh, to bring the unity, to be able to work out any kind of differences and just totally be unified over the Word of God, to add excellence. You know, excellence is amazing because we can do a lot of things, but until we do a lot of things well, uh, it makes sense to do a few things well rather than a whole bunch of things uh, just to do a bunch of things. You ever heard the phrase, jack of all trades, master of none? Uh, usually that's entertaining for the person, but when a lot of people are dependent upon uh, what's happening and they're not done well, then what happens is there's not the impact that we can have. So we got to add excellence to what we do. Uh, fight from the hills. Uh, we, we looked at how fighting from the hills is when you don't just focus on a single area. Um, you focus on the whole outward areas as well. And then as you pull people in, you can go to maybe the main areas uh, to be able to reach more and more people. And typically from the hills, people have a lot of vision. Uh, usually people in the plains, so to say, is that you wouldn't necessarily go and fight the battle right at the plains because you're in wide open uh, an area. But if you go and you pull some other people with you and you go to the plains together, now you can make more of an impact. Uh, fight the road battle. The road battle was all about Jesus was on the move. Uh, Jesus went from towns. He went from villages. He was in homes. He was in the synagogues. He was in the marketplace. I mean, Jesus was all over. So as disciples, we've got to be moving. We've got to be mobile. And not just sit in the comforts of our home, maybe, on, or in that one comfortable place that we like to go to. Uh, but we got to be mobile to be able to reach as many people as possible. We talked about just preaching the word. That was Jesus' simple message. Uh, method was just simply preaching the word. We talked about the, the necessity of worshiping God. Uh, that there's nothing that will replace true worship of God. Yeah. And then finally, we talked about loving the battle and staying strong in the grace. Now, uh, we didn't talk about every single topic. Um, I felt it was good that we switched over to a different uh, series that we're going to be jumping into. Um, but I do encourage everybody to get the book if you haven't, and uh, really to use these practicals in our ministry as we build Jesus' ministry. And uh, you can see me afterwards if uh, you're still not sure where to grab this book. So today we're going to jump into a new series. And uh, the series is entitled, The DNA of Discipleship. And it's going to be an awesome series, I believe, because we're going to look at just the fundamentals of Jesus' ministry. And uh, if you know anything about DNA, I don't know if anybody here is a professional doctor, but uh, DNA, I'm not, but I research DNA, 
and I figured that's an appropriate uh, topic of really getting to the DNA of something. Because the DNA is the carrier of the genetic information of what someone, who someone truly is. Um, your DNA defines you, whether we realize it or not. And we're going to look at the true DNA of being a disciple of Christ, because we don't want to just say that we're students of Christ, or we, we're Christian, or we're disciples. We want to actually be able to have this DNA inside of us, to where it's defining who we are, because it's deep down inside of us. You know, the fundamental and distinctive characteristics or qualities of someone is what DNA is also defined as. And so what we want to be able to do is we want to carry the right information of being true disciples. We want to have the fundamental and distinctive characteristics of Jesus and the qualities that we're going to be able to implement into our lives, into the lives of others, are going to be the same things that Jesus implemented into this world. And I figured the two topics we're going to talk about today are all going to lead to God's will, but they're the fundamental basic building blocks that we need to build off of to truly call ourselves disciples of Christ or true followers of Jesus. And the two topics we're going to simply look at are submission to God and humility. These are the fundamental basics. Before we can, we can move on and we can have the impact that we want to have for God, we've got to get to a place where we're truly submitted to God's will and we're humble about walking with our God. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16 to kick off. Come on, come on. You know, we're going to look at uh, the true definition here of discipleship. And, you know, uh, Jesus stirred up a lot of feathers as he taught. And it was amazing because the people that weren't willing to do the will of God, they weren't willing to follow Jesus and to put into practice what Jesus taught, they became a number of things. They became persecutors. They became violent. They became verbally abusive. They became uh, gossipers. They become slanderers. They, they, they put the name of Jesus as a place where they, they even called him demon-possessed, raving mad, leading the nation astray. I mean, these were all the names that Jesus was given. But for some who were willing to take his message to heart, they became those that changed the world. They became those that implemented the cells inside of the, these teachings inside of themselves and they became instruments to change the world. And that's what I believe we're called to today. Is that no matter where somebody's been in life, everybody is capable of becoming what Jesus calls each and every one of us to become. Here in Matthew 16, we'll pick up in verse 24. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me. So this wasn't just the churchgoer. This wasn't the guy who grew up with a religious family. This wasn't uh, just the preacher. This was... If anyone would come after Jesus, he's going to lay a set standard of what one must be able to do. He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, it was amazing. Jesus had the, the, the strength and what some people would call the audacity, but what God would call his true love, to be able to lay out a standard for all of mankind. That if anyone would follow Jesus, they must, not a suggestion, a must, deny themselves, to put their self-desires on the side to be able to do God's will. Now, it doesn't mean that we, uh, I, I love ice cream, um, and I, I love my wife. And I love each and every one of you. 
But it doesn't mean that I just have to deny myself of relationships and ice cream and, no, that's okay if they can fit within God's will. Now I gotta watch myself on too much ice cream there, you know, because then I could fall into this gluttonous category, you know what I mean? Uh, and so, but we've got to realize that we're, we're all called to deny ourselves and to put the things that go against God's will to the side to be able to do the very will of God. And then to carry our cross. You know, the cross was uh, something that Jesus had not yet been to. And so people didn't totally understand the, the, the carrying of the cross that Jesus would do. But crucifixion was a common form of punishment back in the day. And so if somebody was carrying their cross, typically we, we know the cross that we, we picture. It's uh, like our, our lowercase t. But more, more likely it was like an uppercase t and there was a sign above it. And so there was the, the part that was fixated up on the hill. So maybe it was here. And then the prisoner, whoever was condemned, would carry the flat beam across their shoulders or maybe like this. They would carry their cross to the place where they would be executed. Then they'd be nailed to the cross and then they'd sit upon it. And so what Jesus was saying was, if anyone would follow him, they too would have to carry their cross. Yeah. Imagine if we were to look outside right now and see somebody carrying their cross to the place of, of this part of the cross up the hill. And they were carrying this part because they were condemned to be going to death. And Jesus was saying that in order to follow him, spiritually, we've got to carry our own cross. We've got to die to the things that are against the will of God to truly be one of his disciples. You know, for me, this was an eye-opener when I saw it for the first time when I was 25 years old. I'd gone to church my whole life. I had done community events. I went on mission trips and served the poor and, and sat with homeless people. And I, I thought that I'm just a great, great God. And those qualities are incredible, uh, which we need, to, we need to be able to live out within our lives. But I was not carrying my cross. I was doing drugs. I was being impure, I was in immoral relationships, I was, I was calling myself a Christian and living totally contrary to what the Bible taught. And when I saw that, to carry your, my cross, I had to personally identify what my cross was. And that was my cross, it was impurity, it was selfishness, it was greed, it was envy, it was, it was hatred, it was unforgiveness. It was all these things, it was drunkenness, it was drugs, these were the things that became a part of me that, that I loved to do. And Jesus lays out the standard that if you're going to follow me and call yourself a follower of mine, you must put these things to the side and die to them and begin to live a brand new life. Amen. And this just becomes part of the DNA of a disciple. Is this is who we are. This is the lifestyle we live as true disciples of Christ. You know, Jesus said that the cost would go on after he died. And then each and every one of us who would follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we would pay the same price, which would be to surrender our entire lives to be able to do the very will of God. All right. You know, there's cost of discipleship. And I think what happens is we get wrapped up in, you know, grace is a free gift and it doesn't cost anything. And that's very, very true. Uh, we don't deserve grace. It's unfair that we have grace. I'm going to talk about that later in the lesson. But there's absolutely a cost to discipleship. It's our entire lives that we surrender our will. We take our whole will, this whole kingdom that we've built, and we just place it under the kingdom of Jesus. And if King Jesus says, hey, you've been building this, and that's okay to keep building, let's keep building it. But when we see the things that don't fit under the roof of Jesus Christ, we've got to be willing to die to those things and carry that cross on a daily basis. 
You know, things must be given up and things must be done to follow Christ. There's a cost of a soul. And it's amazing that Jesus puts such an amazing price on the soul of each and every one of us. But sadly, a lot of times, we don't put a lot of value on our souls. And Jesus says, I, I care about your soul deeply, and therefore I'm going to give you a standard. I'm going to give you direction about how to, how to use this soul that you've been given. And my challenge simply from the scripture to all of us is value your soul the way Jesus values it. Be willing to get rid of anything that's in the way of doing the will of God. Be willing to die to yourself. Be willing to carry your cross. Be willing to deny yourself. And let's help each other truly live this lifestyle of a disciple. You know, at such great cost, there's always great benefits for those who stay faithful. And the benefit of heaven is a promise that it's unfading, that it's, it will never end, that it's, a, it's an amazing eternal time that we will be able to have with God and with those who stay faithful along the way. You know, a personal friend of mine, he was an incredible basketball player. And uh, he, was, he was arguably the best player on the team. And I'm going to say hands down, he was the best player on the team. Um, but he had this injury called refusing to listen. And, and the coach benched him. The coach benched, benched him for six, days, for six games until he was willing to get rid of this injury. And then the coach said, you know what, injured people can't play on the team. And you're injured right now. You refuse to listen and run the plays that we've called. And he was benched, and they lost some games. And, but he had to just sit there until he would become humble, be, until he would fit the standard of just being obedient to the coach. And, you know, a lot of times that's how Jesus works in our lives is that, you know, we, we, we're here, and we're like, man, I've got talents, I've got abilities, I'm showing up, and, and God should be lucky that I'm showing up. And, and Jesus is saying, no, if you're going to follow me, I'm the coach. You can't play on this team unless you're willing to surrender your life, to deny yourself and carry your cross daily, and now you can come follow me and truly fight the spiritual battle. You know, our world, uh, we're going to talk about two things today, submission to God and humility. They both go hand in hand. And in our world today, this word submission, it just raises the hair on the back of our necks. We're just like, ooh. Don't use that word around me. We live in a world that just says, you know, I don't have to do what you say. I'm my own person. Only God can judge me, which is true. God will judge each and every one of us. Um, but not only God can judge you. I mean, if we saw somebody, like, go out in this parking lot and shoot somebody, we'd all make a judgment. We wouldn't say only God could judge him. No, we'd all make a judgment and say that's wrong. So the truth is, not only God can judge us. Uh, we need to help each other stay on the right track to be able to do the very will of God. And judge, God will judge each and every one of us as well. Uh, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. You know, for me, this is the most challenging scripture in the Bible about submission. And, you know, it's one that I wrestle with, but it's one that when I submit to, it's so refreshing. And I believe all of us can have this in our lives. It's a true submission to the very will of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13, the Bible says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Okay, so why would we submit ourselves? For God's sake? It's not for our own sake. You see, when somebody's not willing to be surrendered and submitted, it's because we're looking out for our best interest. Whereas as disciples, the DNA of a disciple is that our number one priority relationship in this world is, is our walk with God. And therefore, we submit ourselves for God's sake. Amen. 
Because our lives are made to truly glorify God. Well, let's see where we're supposed to submit ourselves. To every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority, to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrongs, and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood and the sisterhood, amen, of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Verse 18. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. This is the most challenging passage that I've found in the Bible about submission. To submit yourself to somebody who's over you, who's even harsh. But let's look at, we're going to read more into it. Verse 19. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering, because he's conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He, bore, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Chapter 3 and verse 1. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe in the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Husbands, we're not off the hook. Let's go down to verse 8, or verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, right? The same way that women are called to be submissive to their husbands. Husbands, in the same way, Verse 7, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Verse 8, finally, all of you. So maybe you're sitting here saying, I'm not married. You know, I'm not, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not owned by anybody. I, I got my own, I own my own business. You know, we're all under the government authorities. But maybe you're, you're saying, you know what? Mr. Preacher, man, that doesn't fit me. Well, in verse 8, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Yeah. You know, it's amazing that no matter what relationship you have, the Holy Spirit will call all of us to be submissive and to be humble. And it's an amazing quality that God's built into this world. You know, sadly, we live in a world that that can take advantage of people like that. And by any means, we're not saying just let people walk all over you and just take the short end of the stick always, but we are saying that in this confidence that we have in our walk with God, that we're not trying to just win arguments before man. We're not just trying to make our name known here. And there's, I was talking with Kevin the other day, there's something about man, we just want to build something and put our name on it. Uh, and, and women too, you know, like we want to be recognized. And it's amazing that our lives we're supposed to submit our lives for the Lord's sake so that through us, we're just a vessel that people recognize. 
That's the ultimate goal of discipleship. And that's the DNA we all need to be able to possess in order to truly glorify God. You know, I, I've always wondered how Jesus taught, and he said that the greatest among you will be the servant of all. And I think, why is the servant the greatest? The servant is the one that typically people don't know the servant's name. You know, if you go to a banquet or an event, you usually know the speaker's name, but usually walk in and the person holding the door or the person who's cleaning the floor, you don't know their name. Uh, but in the kingdom, Jesus says that the greatest will be the servant. And I believe the greatest is the servant because the servant, their whole agenda is to glorify the one who they're serving. And for us as disciples, our DNA has got to be that who we're about, what we do, whether it's Friday night, whether it's behind closed doors on Tuesday afternoon, whether it's on Monday morning, whether it's Saturday night, when at whatever people are out doing, that our whole lives are about truly being submitted to God and glorifying His name. You know, for a long time in my life, I genuinely believed I was getting away with so many things. Um, there was a rule in our house that you're not allowed to eat outside of the kitchen. And so uh, we had this a hallway that, that came this way and the stairs went up here. But then you come this way and there was my dad's desk and he could just see everything. So what I would do is, you definitely had to walk by my dad's desk, but what I would do is I'd go around the hall with my plate of food and there was the banisters on the stairs and I'd put my food on the stairs. And then I walk around and I'd say, hey, Dad. And then I walk up the stairs. And I've already told my dad about this, so. Uh, and I just grab my food and, I, and I, I just, I literally thought I was getting away with it. But you know what was happening? I started to see my dad and I was like, man, I feel a little bit guilty. And then but Billy would go away. And then I, and I was like, but I could bring food upstairs still, you know. And, uh, and I never spilled on the carpets. I was always really, really neat about it. Um, and my dad never found out until he told me, until I told him, sorry. Um, but there was something inside of me that was missing. There wasn't the connection with my dad. And, the, and we had a great bond, a great relationship. But I look at that and I say, wow, because I was carrying this little piece of guilt, we missed out on something. And I believe God doesn't want us to miss out on the relationships he'd given us. He doesn't want us to, to go about thinking that we're just getting away with things and we're, and maybe it's behind closed doors. And, and the thing is, we're behind closed doors if we're living in our sin, but before people, we're putting on a great show. We're missing something in our relationship with God. And we go and we, we, we pray to God and, and we, we share our hearts to God, but, but we're still holding on these things in secret and, and God can't be fooled. And we've got to have the mindset that we're willing to have a surrendered heart in all of our relationships for the Lord's sake. And it's amazing. The Bible goes on. It talks about essentially your work relationship, right? Your master, your, your earthly masters. Um, that's your boss. Submit yourself to your boss, right? A husband and wife relationship. Those within the community, the governing authorities that, you know, the president, the, you know, the mayor, whoever it is. Um, you know, the, the Christian church prospered the most ever under Nero. He was a very, very corrupt official. And so whatever your political beliefs are, God is still God. Yeah. And we're still called to submit ourselves to people in our lives for God's sake. Yeah. You know, right in the middle of this, in verse 21, and talking about submission in this kind of way, the Bible says, to this you were called. Now, so many people go to church today and say, you know what, we're supposed to be influenced by the Bible, I get it. Uh, we're supposed to be aware that this is what Jesus did. And, no, 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 this is what Jesus did, 
And that's actually what anybody who has the DNA of being a true follower of Christ, this is what we are called to. The Bible goes on to say, this is this we are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example to talk about and to feel good about. Is that what it says? No, it says, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. What a call to submission of being true disciples. And the Bible goes on to say in verse 22, He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You know, a submitted person is a person who radically trusts God. Someone who's unwilling to submit themselves to these things that God calls us to submit ourselves to, all it comes down to is a lack of trust in God. And as disciples, this has got to be in our makeup. It's got to be who we are. Is that we're willing to use our entire lives to glorify God. It doesn't matter if our relationships are great, if our relationships are challenged in different areas, if you agree or don't agree with the person who's uh, who's leading you, whether it be at work or whether it be in school or your teacher or the government, the true test of a disciple trusting God is being surrendered, carrying the cross, and denying themselves on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. The government in verse 23 is addressed. Employers in verse 15 is addressed. In chapter 3 and verse 1, marriage is addressed, husbands and wives. And then in verse 8, everybody's addressed. We're all called to be truly submissive deep inside of our hearts. But the Holy Spirit uses Peter here in the middle of it all to say this is who Jesus was. And if this is who Jesus was, this is who we've got to become as well. Now as we keep on going here, let's go to Matthew chapter 8. Here in Matthew chapter 8, there, was, there were people who were so excited about following Jesus. I mean, constantly throughout his ministry. I mean, there are people that were, you know, you're the greatest, and, you know, blessed is the, the mother who birthed you, and Jesus is like, no, blessed is the one who obeys the word that I'm speaking. That's who's truly blessed. And there were constantly, like, a, a fan base that kind of followed Jesus, and they were kind of like the Fairweather fans. Like, when Jesus taught, like, really fun things about forgiveness, they were like, yeah, we're here. When he gave out food, there was thousands of people, and then he called people to discipleship, and then everybody left. <laughs> And uh, Jesus looks at the 12 even. At one point, I mean, there were thousands that were following Jesus. And then at one point, he, he teaches a little bit of harder teaching, and, uh, and everybody leaves. And there's just the 12 apostles. And Jesus looks at him and says, do you guys want to leave too? I mean, Jesus was willing to let anybody walk away. His whole hope was that everybody would stay and everybody would become true disciples. But he wasn't going to change the standard of discipleship for relationships. And it was amazing because those 12 stuck around. They said, we have nowhere else to go. They were sold out, as we like to say. And because they were sold out, God used them to change the entire world. Yeah. That's going to be the same cost it's going to be for us to follow Jesus today. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, I believe Jesus had a little bit of humor in his, uh, in his ministry. We're going to look at that right here. It says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I mean, this guy was emotionally charged by Jesus' message. He was just like, man, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I will follow you. Let's do this. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. 
Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. You know, so many people will say that, man, Jesus was not even letting people go and bury their father. No, most likely there was maybe 20 more years that this guy's dad would still be alive. And so Jesus is saying that your life has got to be used. If you want to follow me and be a disciple, your life has got to be used to do the things that I'm calling people to do. Come on. And it was amazing. The scribe, a teacher of the law, this guy was well-versed in the scriptures. He comes to Jesus. He's, he's amped up, right? And a lot of times uh, churches will have these kind of big revival things that people will go to. And they, they get super amped up. And they say, like, the Holy Spirit will only come at a certain time. But Jesus says, with true disciples, I'm here always. I'm with you always. That's the promise. So you don't have to wait until people feel spiritually charged for the Holy Spirit to come. Uh, the Holy Spirit's with us right now as disciples of Jesus. And people go, get amped up. And they, they really do because I believe people genuinely are looking for change. I believe it. People are looking for a spiritual just charge that's going to make it change and, and things will be good. And, and Jesus does say, I'll give you my spirit to help you. But it's going to be a great cost. It's going to be a life. Look at, the, look at my son. He had my spirit. And look at him. He, he, he persevered through life. He fasted. He prayed. He, he wept. He cried. He poured into people. And he wasn't appreciated at times. He had to submit himself to Pilate. I mean, these things were horrible. He had God's spirit. Jesus wasn't putting on a revival to make people just come and get amped up for a little while. In fact, here's what people thought was a revival. And Jesus said, this is not a revival, guys. This teacher of the law came and was so fired up and Jesus didn't say, hey, come on, the more the merrier. Let's have a blast. Let's make a, an entertainment show about it. No, that's not what Jesus was teaching. He said, if you're going to follow me, it's going to come at a great price. You know, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I don't have anywhere that I'm, that I'm set. I don't live somewhere specifically where I'm not willing to change where I live. And if you follow me, that's got to be your heart too. I mean, he attacks two things, or doesn't attack, he addresses two things, the home and the family. <laughs> Jesus wanted everybody to be saved, but he knew that it was going to take a great example of somebody who was willing to step up and to live out what Jesus taught. This is a true heart of submission. And, and maybe it makes people's hair stand up on the back of their necks now, but this is who Jesus was. He said, if you're going to follow me, it's going to be the time of your life. Trust me, it's going to be worth it. We're going to get to heaven. It's going to be eternity on the line, and it's going to be an incredible time. I promise you it's going to be great. But you've got to be submitted in this life that I give you, that you truly trust and glorify me with your life. You know, submission is, it's actually a beautiful thing when you study it out. It's the true love of somebody who trusts God. Wow. I was so proud of Jolly's lesson. Uh, she talked about how her life she was...
Um, we had some pretty incredible things we said to each other. With God, it's so much more serious. The idea with God is saying, I'm entering a covenant to where I'm willing to change. I'm willing to move if I need to. I'm willing to surrender relationships if I need to. I'm willing to, to be humble in situations where I don't want to be humble. I said something to Joalia as to we were preparing for Women's Day, and I genuinely thought it was a pretty great thing to say. <laughs> and it resulted in her crying. And, and I, in that moment, I had to decide, am I going to be humble and apologize? Or am I going to just kind of stick to my guns and say, no, this is a good, this is a good thing to teach? <laughs> and, and in that moment, I just said, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Inside of me, I, I, I felt like I shouldn't have to really say that. I mean, this was my pride and my, my lack of submitting in my relationship here. Because uh, whether you believe it or not, we're all called to submit. Husbands, submit to your wives. Wives, to your husbands. Uh, and it was amazing how God just, just bonded our hearts back together again. You can feel it when there's just like pride in a relationship. You know what I mean? Like... You're like it's like two magnets. Like when there's great, there's humility. And people are like this. Like we're on the same page. We connect. We bond. But then when there's pride, it's like you flip those magnets around. It's like you're just trying to push it together, and it's just like a push, this force pushing it apart. And all it takes is flipping the humble card, flipping the humble card, and God bonds and builds relationships. And that's what we're we're called to make the first step as disciples. We're called to make the first step to be humble. And to submit ourselves. You know, discipleship, we've got to consider the cost. You know, you ever see those ads with the fine print? And you're like, I went to the grocery store the other day. I love sparkling water. And uh, they had these 12 packs of sparkling water. They were four for 10. And I'm like, man, you could probably just buy one for 250 You know, like, that's a great deal. And I go, and uh, it's Albertsons. I don't know what they're doing at that place. Just kidding. But the fine print, I mean, it says real big letters, 4 for 10. And then at the bottom, it, and usually you can buy 4 for 10, but at the bottom it says must buy 4 to get this deal. And so I get up to the counter, and they said it's like 529. I was like, 529? I thought it was 250. And they said, well, in the small print it says, we don't want to do that with discipleship. I figured what, what I would do is I laid out the hardest scriptures in the Bible about submission and humility so there's no fine print so that we could just, you know, in a sense, buy the car, buy the, buy the, the walk with Christ, and then we'll just know as we get into it, it's going to be a good walk, but there's no fine print. There's cost, there's sacrifice required to follow him, and he demands for us, for him to be our first priority, and the message of Jesus is that we absolutely must be submissive to God and to people. You know, the second area of, uh, that we need to really go after is humility. And has anybody ever heard of the claw theory? Have you ever seen uh, eagles? They have these talents. And, uh, you know, sometimes you're on YouTube and you end up watching things that you never thought you'd watch, like, uh, like eagles attacking mountain goats. And uh, I was watching these mountain goats, and somebody referred to me, and I was watching these mountain goats, and they're like, they're literally like on these mountains, and there's, if they fall, they're done. But these eagles with these talons will spot them out, and they'll just come like behind them, and they'll just like shift them, and, and the eagle's pretty light, but these talons are just so deep that the, it throws off the goat's stability enough that they tumble down the mountain. And by the time they're at the bottom of the mountain, the eagle can just fly down and have breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack, whatever it's gonna be. And, uh, and it's intense, but these talons, they get in there, and they really disrupt somebody's life. And I believe 
Sometimes we can believe in the claw philosophy, um, but that's not okay in discipleship. It's where you just want people to really feel what, you're, what you want them to feel, which is sometimes hurtful. And uh, we don't have a turn-the-cheek mentality. We have an eye-for-an-eye mentality. And, you know, the humility of a disciple is that it's a turn-the-other-cheek mentality. And we've got to have this type of humility and this surrender to God. You know, the fact is, life isn't fair sometimes. It's a fact. You look at Jesus' life, man, it was not fair what he went through. He was born and... You know, he grew up as a carpenter's son. He started teaching the perfect message, and people talked bad about him, and eventually they killed him, and, and he was very, very punished for doing the right thing. Life was not fair for Jesus. And at times, life's not going to be fair for us, but because things aren't fair, it doesn't mean that we don't be surrendered to God anymore. The DNA of a disciple is that even if life gets unfair, even if it gets challenging, we stay surrendered because we're so faithful in God that that's the relationship we're not going to give up. You know, David was, was in caves that time. I mean, he was running. He was, he was being attacked by multiple different enemies. He had to live in, in horrible places. And his whole hope was that, God, just, you're my fortress. You're my shield. Yeah. And that's got to be our mentality, is that, yeah, life's not fair. But you know what? On the other hand, grace isn't fair either. Grace is not fair. Yeah. And I don't think any of us have a problem with grace or mercy. Uh, grace or mercy is not something we deserve. It's very unfair. It's a gift given to us. And we've got to give that gift back to other people. Yeah. You know, before we, were, before we were righteous in the eyes of God, Jesus was willing to make the first move and say, hey, I care about you. I want to love you. I'm going to submit myself to you guys because I care about you. And I'm going to give you a, a free pass, essentially. And I, th I thought it was awesome what Courtney shared is that free pass doesn't mean that we just do what we want now. It means that now we give our hearts back to God and we pay it forward. Yeah. You know, um, submission can feel really unfair too. Humility can feel unfair. But you know, you know what's right there with you and submission and humility is Jesus. And that's what he shared in his ministry. All he shared in your lesson yesterday is that Jesus was able to say, I'm gentle. I'm humble at heart. Yeah. You know, I've got to ask myself, can I say that about myself? That I'm truly gentle and humble at heart. Because you can feel it when you're being prideful. You know what I'm talking about. A lot of times we act like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's like, no, we know when we're being prideful. Yeah. And Jesus just said, I'm gentle, I'm humble at heart. And Joelle shared some great insight in her lesson. She said that gentleness, it's not an action. So it's not like, a, oh, I'm going to do a gentle thing. or I'm gonna, But it's actually a condition of the heart to where Jesus was able to say, I'm just gentle. It's who I am. If people cross Jesus, I mean, he was still loving, he was compassionate, he asked questions, he was there to build people up. I mean, he gave everybody multiple chances. Uh, he was willing to, to listen. He was willing to heal. He was willing to take the time to be gentle and, and humble with people. And even when he was wrongly accused, the Bible says that he submitted himself to God. And that's got to become the character of us to take on the, the DNA of being true disciples. You know, if you spend time with kids, I'm getting uh, prepared to spend time with kids as yeah. uh, Joali's due next month, which is very exciting. And, uh, you know, oftentimes kids will say, it's not fair. They'll say, why not? And sometimes parents will say, because I said so. Or sometimes they'll try to explain like what's going on, but kids always have like this incredible rebuttals. And usually it's not fair is followed by like a, a temper tantrum. It's like, ah! 
don't know, you know, kids are different. <laughs> but it doesn't really change as we grow up. A lot of times when we feel like maybe it's I'll file, I'll file a lawsuit, I'll, you know, get the best of you, I'll, I'll blackmail you, I'll do this, I'll do that, and, and it just comes down to not truly being submitted. And we've got to have that mentality in our walk with God is that it's not a temper tantrum mentality. It's a more of digging deeper and getting closer to God mentality. Because the closer we get with God, the more we'll truly glorify Him. And as disciples, that's what we're called to. You know, here it says, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. And both are unfair. I thought that was an incredible quote. Let's wrap it up here closely in 1 Peter chapter 5. As we dig into pride and humility just a little bit more. 1 Peter chapter 5. In verse 5, the Bible says, Young men, in the same way be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, it's amazing. You, uh, you meet everybody in life, and I believe everybody genuinely believes that they have a relationship with God if they believe in God. And that is true. God is actively working in the lives of everybody in the world. The people who believe they have a relationship with God, it's true. Everybody has a relationship with God. There's just great relationships with God, and there's bad relationships with God. And the Bible actually says that those who are humble, God is just giving them grace. God's pulling them into his, his kingdom, his life, his love, his faithfulness. But those who are proud, the Bible says that God is actively opposing them. He's actually working against them in their lives. And God loves us so much that he's willing to do that in our pride in the hope that we will change and we'll decide to be humble. I mean, this is the call that we're all called to as true disciples of Jesus. You know, the Bible says humility is to be worn. For all of us, we're to put on humility. And, you know, just like you get dressed in the morning, we've got to put on a nice dose of humility every single day. Because we're inevitably going to face things in life that we don't want to be humble about. But this is part of the DNA of who we are as true disciples, is we're clothed with humility. You know, disciples are called to remember who God is and who we are. Is that we're nothing without God. At the end of the day, we've been given a life, we've been given talents, we've been given abilities, we've given an incredible family of believers here in Eugene and throughout the world. And so we all are called to be truly humble with the lives that we've been given. You know, uh, synonyms for opposes are resist, oppose, opposite, or against. So it's incredible to think that when we're being prideful, God's actually against us. He's opposing us, and he's pushing us away. And I believe sometimes that happens so that we can actually experience the loneliness of pride. Because pride is a very, very lonely place. And when pride gets to be a lonely enough place, relationships start to fall apart, Eventually, somebody gets to a place where they say, I have nothing else. And God's whole hope is that they'll choose to run towards God. You know, it's amazing. Um, people who've usually been through a lot, they're usually the most giving and the most grateful. They're usually the most, they have the most amount of love because they've seen how dark things can get. Yeah. You know, my encouragement to all of us is let right now be the darkest place you've ever been. Just take on humility. I'm talking to myself too. Become humble and let it be a brighter life. Everything moving forward is just straight humility. Because this is the DNA of somebody who's truly following Christ. 
You know, if we don't humble ourselves, the passage says God will resist us and oppose us, basically with the hopes that we'll choose to follow him. Because the prouder we are, the less we really believe that God will exalt us in due time. You know, I don't want to get lifted up in this world unless God's going to lift me up. It's taken years for me to truly be able to confidently say that. And that's the question we've got to all ask ourselves this morning is, are you waiting on God to lift you up? Or are you manually doing it yourself? Because the truth is, if we exalt ourselves, man, we're facing this opposition from God. But if we decide to submit ourselves to God, we submit ourselves to those around us who God's put into our lives, and we decide to carry ourselves with a great humility, in due time, God will raise us up. You know, Abraham was going through hard times, but God raised Abraham up. Joseph was sold into slavery by his family. And through his humility, he was raised up to be the second in command in Egypt. Moses was so fearful, but God used him to move the people, millions of people across the Red Sea. Jesus, he was walked all over, he was beaten, he was abandoned by man. But God raised him all the way to heaven. And the fact is, is that if we will humble ourselves, and we'll take on this true DNA of discipleship, and we too will be able to see the things that Jesus saw. We'll be able to look in the eyes of people and see people change the way Jesus saw people change. We'll be able to look in the mirror and we'll be able to truly be proud of who we become because we're truly walking with God and to Him be all the glory.